Glad to be with you guys this morning. My name is Jeff. Um, for those of you that maybe don't know me yet, I am on staff here at New Community as um, a pastor on staff and also a church planter in residence. So we will um, are working toward planting uh, a church, a new community-like church over in Coeur d'Alene. And so we're really so excited about that. Last week, Kevin uh, talked to us about loving our enemies, and we are in a little section here of Matthew looking um, specifically at relationships, how we interact with each other and engage with each other. Kevin mentioned last week that in loving our enemies, that it actually creates a paradox. The traditional interpretation of righteousness was an eye for an eye. Jesus reinterpreted that uh, traditional interpretation and said, but I say, love your enemies. A call to distinct discipleship in a new way, in a third way, Kevin mentioned. He said, we are called to nothing less than finding third ways in the face of evil and loving our enemies. We are called to end the unmaking of the world and to begin working toward the redemption of the world. Loving our enemies, those that maybe we see in other cultures, those that we have prejudice against, those that we have hatred against, either for things that we think might be righteous reasons or for blind reasons. We are to love our enemies. This week, we're going to talk about how we relate to each other, those people that we encounter in our lives daily, those people that we've even encountered here this morning, people that would be parts of our community, uh, people that we see and engage with almost every day. We are so fortunate here at New Community to have great teachers, Russ and Rob and, and Kevin, and, and others who uh, take this platform and teach us. I will say from the outset that the style I'm going to use this morning is a little bit different style for me. It's a new style for me. Uh, I hope it's going to be more relational and application-based. Um, and what I'm finding myself doing in this style is shifting away from what I call the shield of theology. And if you've heard me speak before, I have a tendency to get real deep and find words and exegete passages and kind of hide behind that shield of theology. I have a tendency when I study for a message to create 10 to 15 pages of notes and have 90 minutes of material that needs to fit into 30 and leave you with 15 points to go and apply. Um, and that may not always be the best, the best approach. You know, when I, when, I'm, when I think about this teaching role of pastors, what pastors want in their teaching is they want the crowd to come and have their life be transformed. They want their lives to be changed in the context of these 20 to 40 minutes that we spend. Churchgoers, not new community necessarily, but most churchgoers in America come to church because they want to be comforted or they want to be entertained in some different cultures. What we all should want out of this time together is that God is worshipped. We should be worshipping God through this. It shouldn't be some formula that I give you, or it shouldn't be um, some deep theology, although those have their places. But we should be worshipping God in all that we do through our times that are gathered together. In praying for this message, God spoke clearly to me. He said, Jeff, I have given you a life of experiences Use it. Use your life. Now, some of that is risky, right? Because you reveal parts of yourself, and you're not hiding behind the shield. Shields protect us 
from things. In fact, shields can protect us from judgment. And our topic today is judgment. Pray with me as we look to the scripture today. Lord God, we're thankful for the truth of your word. We are thankful that it is your word and your relationship with us that does transform us, that changes us. God, we pray that we would be um, moved by your word and your truth today. We pray, Lord, that those things that are of you and um, that our life transformation, transforming would be um, remembered in our hearts and our minds. And those things that are spoken today that are not of you or not helpful to our lives, God, maybe we forget those things. So we commit our time here, and God, we pray that you are worshipped today as we look to your word and look to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We may tack on a little bit more at the end, but there's so much in um, these few verses for us to consider for today. This is how it reads from the English Standard Version. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Some translations use the word plank there. We've entitled this message today, First the Plank. Jesus says, first remove the log or the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How many of you have had something in your eye before? Okay, that's, I guess that's kind of a common human experience. If you haven't, I would encourage you to put something in your eye and <laughs> see how that feels. That was a really stupid question. Okay, we've all had things in our eyes before. Uh, it was 1981. I had been playing high school football, 82. I had been playing high school football um, for a number of years. Football had become my identity. Football had become my life. I had gone from a scrawny 160-pound guy to 240 pounds by the time I graduated from high school. I was prepared to go and play college football. I was two weeks away from starting fall practice at UC Davis in California. I was also called at that time to play in an all-star game, kind of an exhibition of two different counties of all-stars that played a, a, a game and proceeds went to good causes and all of that. And it was in the practice for one of those, for that game, one of those practices where it was one of those kind of practices where you're just kind of walking through stuff. So we had shoulder pads and helmets, but shorts on and, and people were getting their timing down. And so we had the offensive and defensive line. I was actually a center, if you can believe it. Um, so I'm playing center, and I've got this nose guard in front of me, and the idea was that we're supposed to snap the ball, and then the, the quarterback and receivers and defensive backs are supposed to get their timing down. So the offensive and defensive lines are just kind of there to, you know, get the feel for it, and you snap the ball, and you take your stance, and then you kind of squat down and watch the play go. Well, this all-American guy in front of me decided on this one play that he had to, like, break through the line and tackle the quarterback, which he wasn't supposed to do. So 
we're, we're all thinking it's just this kind of snap the ball and tap each other's shoulder pads. So I snap the ball and look up like this, and here comes this guy, like a freight train trying to get through me, and I don't know what he was trying to prove. And he brings a hand, and he comes around to slap my helmet, and his hand went through my uh, face mask deal to, and, and right into my eye. So here I had played all of these years of football. I had never been injured. I was going on my way to a college football career, which I had dreamed about all of my life. My entire significance was wrapped up in being a football player. That's how people knew me as a football player. And all of a sudden, I'm on the ground thinking by the impact and, and the feel. All I could feel was, was liquid running down my face. I thought I had lost the eyeball. I thought he had hit it so hard that it actually just jellied. Now, the, another interesting part of the story is one of the guys on my team um, was John Madden's son. You all know John Madden, football coach guy. Okay. So I, this was in the Bay Area. John Madden had been the coach of the Oakland Raiders, and now he was an analyst on TV. And he happened to be at this practice watching his son. And so here I am lying on the ground, writhing in pain, and I'm thinking to my, I mean, all kinds of thoughts are going through my head, like, I can't believe that I've let football allow me to lose my left eye. And so they carry me over to a bench on the sidelines, and they put me down, and I'm thinking, man, my eye is ruined, it's gone, I, I can't see anything. And then my eyes open up, and, and, and through bleary, just watery stuff, John Madden's face is like two inches from me. <laughs> and that was weird, okay? And, and, and here's what he said. So I'm looking up, and John Madden says, you got an awfully bad poke in the eye there, son. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of obvious. Uh, but the good news is that I didn't lose the eye, but it was severely injured. I had a semi-detached retina on the back of the eye. The cornea was scratched. Um, so I had to go to the emergency room and then to the eye doctor and get a patch put on and, and, and all that. And the doctor said, well, you've, you've got a semi-detached retina and we can do this and this and this. Um, you're certainly not playing in the game on Saturday. You probably shouldn't play football again. Because if you get hit in the back of the head, which you commonly do in football, um, you could lose the sight in your left eye. Um, so I decided at that point not to play football, which would have dramatic effects on the rest of my life, which led me into a season of loss and depression and not understanding my identity, um, and ultimately led me to places and to things and to lifestyles uh, in attempt to replace football um, that are for another story, but deeply, deeply dark years of my life. I went from 240 pounds to about 155 pounds in nine months. Just deflated like a balloon. But in the process of, and it wasn't steroids, by the way, just go on record. Um, can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, in the process of going through that eye injury, I remember um, getting that patch on my eye and, and getting back home and having this irritant in my eye. I mean, it felt like there was a piece of glass in my eye, and every time I would even just move the eye a little bit, it would cause this shooting pain. And the reason for that was because the cornea was scratched, a little scratch on the cornea, and it just felt like there was a piece of glass in my eye. I had an irritant in my eye, and it was um, very, very disturbing and irritating, and in fact, that lasted for about a month, and there are still times 
when, apparently when you've scratched your cornea, your eye heals pretty quickly, but there are traces of that, and there are still times periodically where my eye will um, go back into pain and feel like it has something in it. And this happened 20-something years ago. So having things in our eyes can cause a lot of irritation for us. Having things in our eyes. We're going to have a little bit of geek stuff here. I want to look back to a couple of Greek words. In our text this morning, we have two things that are mentioned. We have a speck and we have a log or a plank. That speck that Jesus uses, the Greek word that is used there is the word karos, K-A-R-O-S, karos. And it literally means a splinter of wood. Or perhaps even more um, appropriately, it means sawdust. So to have a speck in our eye is to have like a little bit of sawdust in our eye. I've got props today. So this is a cup of sawdust. This sawdust was made by sawing off a little bit of a two-by-four, not this one, but one I had at home, okay, Douglas fir. And by sawing off about, I don't know, maybe an inch of this and just sawing it and sawing it and sawing it created this much sawdust. So this is the thing that Jesus is referring to about the speck, some sawdust in your brother's eye. The other word that is used there is log or plank, and the Greek word there is dokos, D-O-K-O-S. And it literally means a beam of wood, a beam of wood. Jesus is clearly calling on his carpenter roots here. Now, what we discover is that although they look quite different, this sawdust and this two-by-four compositionally are identical. If you were to examine the, the the, the composite makeup of this sawdust and the composite makeup of this two-by-four, you would find that these are identical in their nature. Now, sawdust and a two-by-four look very different. But if you took enough sawdust and compressed it together, you would end up with a two-by-four. The more sawdust, the more specks that get into our eye unexamined, the bigger the plank becomes that's in our eye. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here when we have a plank in our eye, a big two-by-four sticking out of our eye. Have you ever gone down the street and seen somebody walking down with two-by-four? It doesn't typically happen. But here's the reality therapy in this. We judge all of the time. We constantly are making judgments. And every time I judge somebody unjustly, which is what the first part of this passage says, do not judge unjustly, every time I do that, I add another piece of sawdust to my eye, and the board just grows and grows and grows out of control. So honestly, when was the last time you judged someone unfairly? I'd venture to say it probably happened today. I know it happened for me recently. In fact, this last week has been incredibly difficult, preparing this message. Because when you start looking at a subject, you really start to focus in on that subject, and you realize, oh my gosh, I am a judger. 
We do it all the time. Whitney Houston died yesterday. What's the first thing you thought when you heard that Whitney Houston was dead? Drug overdose. I came home last night. I was at Whitworth. I came home. I had heard the, the news on the radio, and I walked in, and, and um, I asked for her permission, so don't feel pointed out, Madison. I walked in, and I said, hey, did you guys hear the news? Whitney Houston died. And before anything could come out, Madison said, up, oh, drug overdose. And I said, can I use that in the message tomorrow? <laughs> now, that comes with, with some experience. I mean, it comes with some of the things we've seen in her life. But here's what I said, not knowing, and I don't know that we know yet. We may be able to make some fair assumptions. I said, no, it wasn't a drug overdose. She died of a stroke. To which Madison's countenance changed, like, oh, Wow, I, I, I immediately jumped to drugs as being the cause of death when it may have been something else. Now, we may again have good reason um, to assume some things there, but we judge all of the time. I was working out in the gym a couple of times this last week at the same time that Dr. Phil happens to be on. If you want to feel really good about yourself, <laughs> watch Dr. Phil. But there were a few things on, and I wasn't listening to it. I was just seeing it um, on, the, on the TV screen in front of my torture device. Um, and, and so there were a couple of things that were on Dr. Phil. The first one was that there were um, a group of maybe six or seven obese people on Dr. Phil. And immediately my mind goes to judgment. Immediately my mind goes to, oh, don't control their diet, you know, what, whatever. And immediately my mind goes to, that is such bad judgment. Because my diet, honestly, my diet is horrible. I'm blessed with a fast metabolism and some other things that aren't so fun. But I immediately judge. And Jesus is telling us not to do that. They also had um, some pregnant teens on Dr. Phil. And, and the issue with these pregnant teens wasn't that they were pregnant teens. I mean, that's been happening all throughout forever, um, but they were the daughters of, of mothers who became pregnant when they were teenagers, and so it was like the second and third generation now of pregnant teens. And again, I didn't listen, but immediately there are judgments that are made, and God forgive me for the judgments that I make. What poor parenting. What a horrible thing for me to say, or to judge, or to conclude. We judge all of the time. So honestly, when was the last time you judged someone unfairly? There is no one that has not been guilty of some grave misjudgment. There is hardly anyone who has not suffered from someone else's misjudgment. And yet there is hardly any other commandment of Jesus which is more consistently broken and neglected. Have you been the victim of judgment? I have. In fact, there are so many stories I could share on this, I, I'm probably going to have to keep it short. Lots of props today. Uh, these are shoes. Uh, about two years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, leave a position in full-time ministry and go back into the business world for about an eight-month period of time, um, which I did. And uh, it was a, a fascinating eight months. Uh, I was on the road traveling an awful lot. But here I had gone from being on staff at a church and living in North Idaho to being back in the business world that required me to travel to New York and Los Angeles and places like that. And so I pretty much had to update my wardrobe, right? I mean, I, I couldn't be like, you know, the Cabela's guy. I had to be the, 
I had to have suits and stuff. And so we went to the Nordstrom, uh, out, what, Nordstrom Rack. We went to the Nordstrom Rack. And we, you know, we got some suits and shirts and ties and shoes. I was on a, a business trip to Southern California. I was meeting with a company there that we had worked with, another high technology company. And where we were was in a, a sales pit kind of a place. It was a call center. And there were probably 20 young people in this call center. And these kids were plucked out of schools. A lot of them were uh, bartenders or other types of folks that had really bubbly kind of personalities that could get on the phones and make sales of this high technology product. And all of them were dressed incredibly well. And so I walk into this environment and it is just alive. And there's a, a sales manager guy there and he's barking at people and yelling at people and saying this over here. And there's, there's just stuff going on everywhere. It's just this alive environment. Music is playing and pizzas are being brought in and beer is being passed around. And it's like, where am I? Well, so I walk in there and, and I'm, I'm wearing these. These are called Cole Haan shoes which by the world's standards, I mean, Cole Haan shoes, I think, are, that's a pretty good brand of shoe. And, and so I walk in, and I'm wearing my Cole Haan shoes and, and whatever brand I had on my coat, and I'm talking, and I'm interacting here, and I'm telling them how to sell our products, and we're doing this and doing that, and having a great time. And, and, and then the sales manager guy pulls me aside, and he said, um, he said, you got those shoes at Nordstrom, didn't you? Uh, yeah, actually, I did. And then he chuckled. And he said, look around this room. These are 22, 23, 24-year-old people. He said, everybody in this room who's been here more than six months will be making $250,000 or more this year. Look at their feet. They all had shoes on. <laughs> and he said, none of those shoes came from Nordstrom. Every pair of shoes in here costs a thousand dollars or more. I won't allow for them to wear anything less. So my Kohans weren't good enough. Wow, how do you think that I felt? Wait a minute. You're judging me as a person because I have Nordstrom shoes on? Dude, where I come from, Nordstrom shoes. <laughs> I mean, come on. We all have stories where we have been unfairly judged for some very superficial reasons, where people make snap judgments about us. And every time that happens, that sawdust compresses and that log continues to build. Now, what happens when we get these logs in our eyes? And I love the fact that, that Jesus used hyperbole um, because it gives me a really good prop. But when we get these logs in our eyes, a few things happen. First of all, it's dangerous <laughs> to, to have this sticking out of your eye. It's, it's dangerous as you're walking down. You know, this is going to take some people out. Okay, so it's dangerous. And it's probably not really good for you either. You know, the other thing that this does, how far does this keep people from me? About eight feet. So when I've got this eight-foot log sticking out of my eye, how close am I really letting people get to me? You see, this acts as a shield and as a protector to have people really know what's going on in my life. That is a huge danger for us that call ourselves part of Christ's family. The other thing that this thing does, sticking in my eye, pretty obvious, it destroys my sight. 
I cannot see clearly with this thing sticking out of my eye. And especially what I've learned by having an eye injury, if you have one eye impacted with something that doesn't work as well as the other eye, you know what you lose the most? You lose your depth perception. Which is really critical. Because now you can't judge things while coming at you or going away from you. It gives you the inability to perceive correctly when you have something sticking out of your eye. So there are four words that we're going to look at. Those four words are projection, reflection, extraction, and retraction. Projection is when we take our stuff and project it onto somebody else. And that's what these boards do. That's what this board does. It's taking my stuff and it is projecting it right onto you. And right onto you. It's taking my stuff and projecting it onto somebody else. This is what John English said. He said, those things we cannot accept in ourselves, we project upon others. So I have something about myself that I don't like, that I know is kind of a nagging thing with me. Like, let's say that I am arrogant. One of the biggest ways I'm going to judge others is I'm going to say, man, you are so arrogant. I'm the one who's arrogant. I've projected that. The other thing we do is we tend to reflect, reflection. Because when we're insecure, we reflect our inadequacies on others. We reflect our inadequacies on others. And they come back to us. We typically have issues of identity when we reflect. All my life, I've struggled with my identity. And you know what? I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. I think everybody at times struggles with their identity. To be something that they're not. And when we try to be things that we're not, again, those things are sticking right out there and we're keeping people at arm's length or board length to really not tell us who we really are. I know that when I find myself in seasons of struggle, of judgment, that those are seasons when I'm doing a lot of reflection onto others. God has called me to be a pastor. He hasn't called me yet to be a professor. And so what I hear God saying to me loud and clear is, love my sheep. Stop lecturing to them. Just love them. Extraction. Jesus says that we have a responsibility in all of this. We have the responsibility to do the hard work of removing those logs, those planks, those boards from our eyes. And here's a caution. When you do something like that, when you take something that severe out of your eye, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a void. There is going to be a hole in your head. And here's what we need to be careful of. When we do that hard work of extraction, that we don't fill that void with the wrong things. Here's what I've done. I've extracted that board, and I've just started piling sawdust back in. I've just started piling it back in. We need to fill that void with the right things. And then retraction. Retraction means that we need to go and do the hard work of repairing the damage that we've done. There may be people that you have judged unfairly that you need to go and sit down and say, I apologize to you. I have judged you unfairly. 
and retract that work. Now, you may do that with some people who are going to go, what? I had no idea. But you do. So we have to go through that process of retraction, doing the cleanup work that's required. There are three reasons for us not to judge. The first is because we rarely have all the facts. We rarely have all the facts. Just like the Whitney Houston thing, we don't know all the facts yet. Who are we to judge that situation? The second one is a critical one. It's what Jesus tells us. Don't judge lest you be judged. Now think about that. The measure with which we judge others, we will also be judged. Boy, that sounds not too good. What would it look like to appear before Jesus today and think of all the ways that we've misjudged others? In fact, the word says specifically that we are not to find someone guilty before God unjustly. Do people find you guilty before God unjustly? Probably. We're called not to do that. Also, we can never be impartial. When we judge, we can never be impartial because we always have a bias. We always have a bias. We've got a way of seeing the world that's going to be different from somebody else's. So the playing field is never really ever level. So what do we do? We're going to leave us with this. We have to determine whether removing the log requires adaptive change or technical change. Adaptive change or technical change? An adaptive change would be that you've got a habit of using words that are harsh and hurtful. Well, if you just learn how to change your language, then you can make a technical change and people will hear you differently. An adaptive change is you're using harsh and hurtful language because you have hatred and prejudice in your heart. It's a lot harder work because you have to adaptively change a portion of how you think and who you are. Most of the things that create these planks in our eyes require us to go through adaptive change, and it is hard, long work. Determine whether it's adaptive or technical change. Do you have hatred? Do you have prejudice? Do you have things that you judge on a regular basis that may be wrong? The second one is we need to invite others to examine us. We need to invite others to examine us, to see the sawdust in our own eyes so that people can take those out. This is a community activity that we get involved in here. Who are you calling in your life to examine you and see the sawdust in your eyes? Now, let me caution you on this. Be careful who you pick. Because if they've got something like this coming at you, they may not be the best people to get close enough to you to see the speck in your own eye. We need to call people to examine us. And then lastly, we really need to turn our judgment into confession. That's what God calls us to do. To take that judgment that we so readily pass on others and to turn it into confession. That's when we start to be released of those specks that are so irritating in our eye. And this is really where the gospel comes into all of this. Because what Jesus says is he says, pull that plank out. But he doesn't just leave us at that. Because as we see later in the scriptures, Jesus not only tells us to pull the planks out, but Jesus says, give me your plank. And Jesus takes that plank and he hangs on the cross. 
So when we take that judgment and we turn it to confession, we are nailing those things to the cross and Jesus has been the victor and has died for us. And that is the good news. So as we go through the rest of our time this morning, there are sheets of paper on your chair. I want to encourage you to think through ways maybe that you have been in judgment of others. Think of ways of confessing that would help to take the plank out of your own eye. And then also think about who are those in the Christian community around you that you can get close enough to and be honest with them about the specks in their eye. And take those things and nail them to the cross of Jesus.